You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 199. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co-host, Paul Zimmerman. Today, we talk about the ghosts of Archaeotech past, its apps and services from the first 50 episodes, and what their status is now. Let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the show, everybody. Paul, how's it going? Didn't expect to see you here today. Yeah. Well, see. <laughs> well, perfect for you know. a uh, audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've been out in the field a lot over the last year, and uh, I keep on promising to try to talk to you when I'm in the field. And this time, I actually woke up when my alarm went off, and here we are. And I actually have internet for a little bit, so we'll see. Hopefully, this uh, this continues. But right now, I'm back on another project in Saudi Arabia again, and I'm going to be here until nice. probably early May. Okay. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's it like in the area that you're at? Is it is it sand dunes and dusty is it mountainous and treed you know what's it look like oh it's beautiful here so we're living in a village just a little north of the city of or village of uh, alula which is kind of near hegra uh, which is a famous okay. nabataean site any tourist thing that you'll see of saudi arabia will have you know these nabataean facades uh, so that's up the street just about 10 minutes 15 minutes from us and then we have mm-hmm. another very important site called Dedan that's just down the road. We drive past it on our way to work. And uh, it's these sandstone cliff mountain craggy things with with beautiful palm groves. And it, it's just it's stunning where I'm at. I'm, I'm really lucky to be here. Nice. Yeah. And the archaeology is kind of cool, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. This is a CRM project you're on, not one of your academic projects. So as usual, there's probably yeah, not a whole true. lot you can say about it. But <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to be a little yeah. circumspect, but I, I think it's a little less sensitive than what I, I did out here in Saudi last year. So, you know, I've been mm-hmm. put on a bunch of different projects. We're doing a little bit of survey work out in the desert, looking for site. And as of yesterday, I'm going to be doing some monitoring in the village here in the old city and because it's ramadan it's going to start going to a night schedule so going to be looking at some burials and yeah just a few of us so i've been joking that it's the skeleton crew working the graveyard shift doing burials (laughs) (laughs) because i couldn't pack any more dad jokes into one thing (laughs) wow so where are you at chris well, we are still in Mexico as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're in Mexico as you're listening to this, but hey, I'm trying to think. I, I guess this probably goes out next week. I don't know. Either way, we're leaving at the end of March and we'll have been here for two months, just a couple days over two months, which is really the longest we've spent anywhere except for mm-hmm. 
wild horse campground during those projects we did out in Nevada with you. <laughs> we were there for like three months, I think, in that location. But as we've been traveling right. around, aside from that archaeology project, this is the longest we've sat anywhere. And I don't know, it's, it's so nice. We just like had no compulsion to leave because, you know, we were supposed to be up in Arizona near the Grand Canyon right now. And it was just cold and snowy up there. And instead, we just kind of pushed everything back a month. And now we're going to go up into Arizona for the first, well, Northern Arizona for the first couple of weeks of April. And then we're doing another RV gathering thing about the third week of April. And then once that's Mm -hmm. over, we're headed towards California and then up the California coast, up into the Pacific Northwest for the summertime. And then, uh, you know, moving on from there. So we are going to talk about past tech on this show. Uh, For other reasons related to the Archaeology Podcast Network, I was actually going through all of our old shows for every single show on the network. I had to run through all of our old shows right back from episode one and make some changes on the website. And what you might notice, actually, if you ever go to our website and listen to shows, what I had to change was the player that's there. The thing that allows you to actually just play the episode right on the website or actually download it from the website. We moved our hosting service to Zencaster. So the old megaphone player from our hosting service no longer worked. And I had to remove that from about 2,500 shows. And then add the new Zencaster player to all the shows and uh, along the way took a look at some stuff and I thought it would be fun to do an episode using just the first 50 episodes of Archaeotech. That's where we stopped. So we're not singling these companies out. This is literally any company or app or thing that was the major focus of the episode from the first 50 episodes of Archaeotech. Now, if some of you go back and listen to these, cause we do have links to all this stuff in the show notes some of the really early ones, possibly even the first one we talk about here. I don't think so, though. I think that's when I took over. The first few episodes had different hosts, and then they kind of bailed on it. And then I took over for a little while, and I had a, a host named Chris Sims, and I had him for mm-hmm. a while. And then he left, and then the show kind of languished for, I don't know, probably a year without any episodes before I started doing just a handful of things. And then Paul came on board, and you've been on board for... It's got to be at least 150 episodes. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was looking back. I can't recall when I started. I think it was in the 60s or 80s, somewhere in that range. So all of these ones predate yeah. me. But a lot of these people have been on multiple times. So uh, as we discussed, I, I yeah. was on interviews with a few of them later on because, you know, quite a few of them have ongoing projects and they were active and still are in many cases very active and I keep on going. But you know, what, before we go any farther, Chris, though, I do want to point out this is episode 199. Don't people normally do things like this on the anniversary or milestone episodes, like 200 maybe <laughs> instead of 199? What's going on here? You know, I, I have been so bad in the whole history of the Archaeology Podcast Network about like <laughs> celebrating episode number milestones. I really want to do stuff, you know, like an episode 200. Do a, This would be a good episode 200. You're totally right. Instead, we're going to talk about, you know, basically dogs and person sniffing dogs, <laughs> cadaver dogs and, and things like that. We're bringing on Paul Martin, who was mentioned, I believe, in one of our past episodes where we were talking mm-hmm. about a CRM project down in the south where they were looking for some stuff, some bridge foundations. And they and they actually thought they had a burials there and they, and they brought in these cadaver dogs. And Paul Martin was one of the ones that was brought in to, to manage that. So. We're going to talk to him directly uh, on the show. But, you know, I would like to do some of this other stuff. We've got some big changes coming with the APN, and it might allow us to staff up a little bit within the next year or two and give us a little more freedom to be able to 
you know, have the time to really put some of these episodes together because I'll tell you what, it is a lot of work because you have to figure out what you're going to put in like a compilation episode, what you're going to talk about. And if you're pulling any clips, you got to go back and find those and cut them and put them in the new one. Oh, it's just a, it is an, a mountain of work. So yeah, I want to do it, but we're going to have to wait. Okay. So we're just going to talk about some of these for the bulk of the episode and uh, let's get into it. Again, we're not picking on any of these. This is literally just any website software or service that we talked about in the first 50 episodes. Everything else is probably news articles or papers or journal articles or something like that. So the first one is open context. And some people may have heard of open context. I mean, it started... I think it started well before we started talking about it on uh, mm -hmm. this episode, which was episode six of the Archaeotech podcast. And this episode actually dates from February 9th, 2015. That's when we interviewed Eric Kanza of Open Context, one of the founders, him and his wife, and a few other people were the founders mm -hmm. of this. And they're still the people who are primarily running it. So what do you know about Open Context, Paul? You know, I, uh, I remember finding out about it back probably when I was writing my dissertation or maybe shortly after. So that would have been, oh, well, my dissertation was 2008. So, you know, it's been a long time, 15 yeah. plus years now. And the yeah. consoles I know are very active in a lot of different things re related to uh, archaeological data, yeah. as they should be, because they are legitimately experts in it. Um, <laughs> and you know, their regular articles by them still come out. Open context, I think, Trying to recall why I was looking at it, and I think that it was because I was very curious in uh, in and still am, as you well know, you know, in uh, in how one manages you know the reams of data that we get from archaeological projects, and they were you know and again still are at the forefront of managing mm -hmm. and implementing systems for doing so, right? So we had that and then right. there's also and I'm trying to remember what the relationship between open context and TDAR because we also had uh, Chris Nicholson from TDAR and I know that these two projects are related and they are both active uh, you know and still going strong and Chris Nicholson, right. I interact with occasionally, or did I think when I was on Twitter before the uh, <laughs> the Elon Muskification uh, of it all. <laughs> right. Uh, how about you? Why? How yeah. did you end up reaching out to them for that? You know, I think I met Eric at a conference because he mm, knew Michael Ashley, who I knew at the time. Yes. Yeah. And we'll talk about Codify in a little bit, but uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I either talked to him at a conference or something like that. It was an SAA or something like that and just started talking and 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 ended up getting him on for an interview. So that's, I, I remember Eric, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Eric Kanza. He also did a poster one time and it was a late night poster session on like a Thursday or I think it was a Friday night. Actually, it was a late night. I was getting over at like 10 o'clock at night. And I even, I even want to say this was the, was this the Hawaii essays? I can't remember which one it was, but it was, um, late at night and and a bunch of us were standing there talking to him and, and actually just kind of talking to each other and we were getting kicked out of the poster room because they were closing it up and everybody else had pretty much left but we're all just sitting there chatting mm -hmm. about tech and and stuff like that and his poster was still sitting on the poster wall uh on like the cork board or whatever that they bro roll in to hang the posters on and he just like while talking 
pulled the pins out of his poster and it turns out it was a piece of cloth and he just like he just like bunched it up and stuffed oh, it in his bag talking about that. <laughs> his shoulder bag <laughs> <laughs> it still is like one of my primary memories of eric and it was just like what and everybody was like what the hell is this you don't have a big tube and no he had it printed on uh like high quality fabric and <laughs> it was just genius so <laughs> Anyway, yeah, and I ended up meeting up with him at Berkeley, I think, too, and had lunch with him when I was over there for whatever reason one time. And uh, yeah, he's just a really cool guy. And that's where him and Sarah live. His wife is over in Berkeley. At least they used to. I don't know. That was years ago. But anyway, yeah, this is really cool. And, and you know, I don't know if they're related to TDAR, but I do know they are related to DINA, which is the digital index mm, of North American it. archaeology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? I think that I asked Chris Nicholson if what the relationship was and he said that they didn't do the exact same thing so that they were actually complimentary that they were friends that they you know they, mm-hmm. they, they discussed things a lot but my first experience yeah. with open context i remember now i was looking online and i saw it and i found that one of the earliest things that was uploaded to it was uh data from the site of petra in jordan which i had worked on mm. so i had this early kind of unexpected connection with it nice Nice. Yeah. I, when I was yeah. doing research for this episode, I, I, I played around on there a little bit. You can just like look at their map and start zooming in and zoom all the way down and it's searchable too, but you can just kind of play around and zoom in and, and look at stuff. And again, these are all, well, like it says, these are all typically open access type of things that, you know, you can know. It doesn't tell you exactly where things are. They scrub coordinates and they have a really big grid mm-hmm. square that says it's somewhere here and it's and it's big enough that you're never going to find it. <laughs> so, you know, anything identifying, they really take out. But it is really cool that, you know, there's there's drawings and photographs and, you know, notes and, and whatever people have submitted to this. And they've got it in a really searchable database. And one of the things they've done is they're really, really concerned with getting the language right, you know, coming up with common mm-hmm. terms for things and and making yep. sure that that's consistent across the entire mm-hmm. platform. They don't let just anybody upload data here. You send the data to them and they upload the data after they yes. contextualize all your data in their system. Yeah. And that's incredibly important. So makes it very yeah, easy. And I just found uh, the Petra Great Temple excavations on their site. So I know that's still there. And I, nice. I haven't dug into the actual <laughs> data they have here, but I, I see that the project is there. So my, my faulty memory is maybe a little less faulty than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, this next one might take a minute to discuss. So I think let's go ahead and take a break and we'll start that one on the other side back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
Welcome back to episode 199 of the Archaeotech podcast. And we are about to talk about another product that I was actually pretty excited to hear about when it first started, or at least when we were talking mm-hmm. to them, which was a few years after they first started. And it's called Fames. And man, I'll have to look on here and see what this actually, oh, it now stands for Field Acquired Information Management Systems. I swear, I think they came up with that because they wanted to keep the name of Fames because they had branding for that, because I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure it used to mean something like Federated Archaeological something or other, because it was designed specifically for archaeology by archaeologists back when it was first started in Australia, no less. Mm Mm-hmm. But now they've kind of pivoted, which is smart, uh, incredibly smart. They've pivoted to being an electronic field notebook for basically anybody, right? So, you know, it's essentially uh, open source software and you can use this on, it's Android based, I believe, and you can use it based on, you know, whatever you want to collect, essentially. And I don't even know if they charge anything for it, to be honest with you. They may, but I'm not seeing anything here. Yeah, it, but it's pretty cool software. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your faulty memory <laughs> yeah. is not terribly faulty because I just looked at, get this, I, I searched on the ArcPodNet Architect page in the search box <laughs> for fames. Okay. Because you've told uh-huh. people about that before, right? <laughs> and came yeah, up with, uh, exactly. with the answer right there. Episode seven, Federated Archaeology Information Management System. <laughs> There you go. There you go. So they did want to use the same acronym. They just came up with different words for it. <laughs> Field acquired. I like it. I like it. So yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, exactly. This is pretty cool. And it it looks like they've rolled out relatively recently Fames 3.0, which honestly doesn't sound like a too high of a number for being around for, you know, something like 13 years. I don't know how many iterations they think they've gone through, but yeah, 3.0. It says also uh, enables cross-platform data collection, Android, iOS, and desktop, and uh, more flexible synchronization and integration with other platforms as well. So sounds like they are doing a lot of things. The production version of Fames 3.0 just went live on December 22nd, sorry, December 2022. And you can subscribe to their newsletter and find out all kinds of stuff. But we'll have, again, links for these if you want to check it out, because I don't I can't imagine this is limited to Australia either. But they have opened it up to a lot of different fields. And we had to reach out to them again, too, because it'd be nice to find out what they've done in the interim, why they've rebranded a little bit and where they see themselves going since it's you know still going strong, apparently. Yeah, indeed. And again, says it was started here in 2012. And. If I, again, I'm, I'm guessing here because I'm trying to remember, but I think it was started almost like, as like a, like a project by grad students, right. To, to mm-hmm. develop this. And I don't know if they turned it into a company or if uh, somebody else did, but there, there must be either some funding behind this or you do actually pay for it. I, re- I honestly can't really tell just by looking at this, but mm-hmm. you know, they're keeping it going and they're keeping a website maintained and they're keeping it updated. So that takes resources one way or another. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, that's a cool one. Uh, Yeah, we'll try to get those ones on. The next one's going to be pretty quick. Field Technologies Incorporated. Again, that's what we call the episode title, uh, essentially, but uh, can't find anything. And Chris Cameron, who is the person who started Field Technologies Incorporated. Yeah, he... I actually talked to him a few times. I think I did a Profiles Mm -hmm. in CRM with him back when I was doing that podcast. And I talked to him a couple of times about different things. He He was pretty hot 
a few years ago in the Archaeofield Techs group and a few other archaeology groups on Facebook because he was doing two things that I was very aware of. He was the first thing, which I think is what we talked about in this episode, which was March 23rd, 2015, episode eight of the Archaeotech podcast. And I, I'm really kind of sad that I can't find anything now. And it, he may have renamed it and it's just, it's still there. I just can't find it by searching Field Technologies Incorporated. I also can't really find any late, any posts from him on Facebook or in any group on Facebook. We're still friends, but he hasn't like posted on Facebook in three, four years. So he's essentially left the platform. So I, I literally have no idea what's going on with all this. But like I said, two cool things that I thought he was doing. He was creating an application uh, for basically cataloging shovel test pits, uh, STPs, because mm-hmm. he's based out of North Carolina. I mean, shovel test pits in the Southeast United States, that's like all you do out there, right? Uh, I mean, you do lead to further excavations, but shovel test pits is like, you know, that's equals survey out here in the West, right? It's just SDPs, SDPs. Right. You'll dig thousands of them in a field season. It is nuts. So finding better ways to catalog these things is name of the game. And then he was also trying to develop basically a machine learning AI tool for identifying projectile points, where essentially you'd take a picture of a projectile point and it would tell you all about it. And he was asking people for pictures of points so he could put it into this machine learning system and have it learn those uh, known points. Do you remember seeing anything about that? I remember hearing about that on the podcast. I remember that episode and I remember you've mentioned it a number of times because it was really cool. It was uh, it was kind of building off of the same thing that we now have like, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember who's behind it, but the, but the different plant identifier apps, right? So oh, yeah. Take a picture yeah, Leaf Snap leaf was one of them I saw. Tells you, yes, that's yeah. one. that. That was a big one, but there have been dozens of these sorts of things, probably bird ones, but definitely a lot of plant ones, identifying flowers and leaves and such. Uh, and so he was trying to do that mm-hmm. for, uh, well, like you said, for uh, for lithics, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, if, for uh, for you know, if you've got the entire form, but yeah, I don't, I haven't <laughs> heard anything since. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. Technically, he may have stopped doing that project because it might not be technically possible to solidly mm-hmm. 100% or at least with a high confidence, high degree of confidence, identify a projectile point. I've often thought about this because I've worked in, as you have at mm-hmm. this point now, even just in the last few years of doing CRM, you know, you've worked in a, a number of different places in the country, you know, from West Coast to East Coast at this point. I've worked in at least 18 different states, seen projectile points in every single one of them. And I'll tell you what, everybody has their own regional names and terminologies for these mm-hmm. things, but there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of ways to make a projectile point, right? I mean, you've got your side notches and your quarter notches. You've got different lengths, widths, thicknesses, base shapes, and things like that. But like a certain point name over on in the West in California, you might have that exact same shape of point over in South Carolina. It's just you know, it might even be made of the same things. Actually, in South Carolina, it's probably quartz or something like that. And in California, yeah. it's probably, you know, obsidian <laughs> or, or something. But, but either way, aside from material type, you know, there's also only a handful of material types that are typically made into projectile points as far as the mass collection of those go across this country. And I just wonder if it was too hard. You know what I mean? Like there's such subtle mm-hmm. differences between some of these things. And I don't think we have a hundred percent degree of confidence when we even type those for sites. You know, I mean, some of them are real obvious, like we're going to drop it in this category, but then others it's like, Oh my God, it could be on a line between this one and that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
even having a computer do it, I think would be hard. Well, I think that if you added a, a spatial component to it, that might help a little bit with that. You know, if sure. you if you restrict it to the terminology and the materials and the well, the typology, the mm -hmm. chronology of it all based off of where you are. If you're in the Northeast, don't bother looking at stuff from the Southwest. That may right. help that a little bit, but really it's, this is mm. way above anything I would even know how to tackle because I'm not particularly good at lithics. <laughs> well, I have always been interested and I don't know if anybody's ever done this kind of study, but because people always tend to focus locally and regionally uh, on what they're mm -hmm. doing, but I would love to be interested in a, in a United States wide, you know, typology study on projectile point morphology and or I guess a morphological study. Cause I, mm -hmm. I would really like to know, you know, you've got this one shape like the Elko corner notch in Nevada. I mean, it was used for a thousand plus years and, you know, is everywhere. Like you can't walk somewhere in Nevada without finding an Elko corner notch. And, that is it's if it's so common i want to know how common that shape is across the rest of the country and what other people call it you know what i mean and 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 look at the date ranges where you find those that same exact shape in all different states of the country and say you you can almost see the cultural march of that shape if it truly started in one place or if it was independently independently invented is so to speak i don't know what the other mm -hmm. word would be but created or or shaped in different locations that would be super interesting but man what a effort that would be to create yeah i can I, i'm sure somebody's tried it if <laughs> and again i don't know much about <laughs> lithics so i don't know where to start with the research maybe it exists already yeah i just have never seen it nice nice all right well there's a there's a project for some you know grad student out there that's looking for something tackle that one <laughs> Okay. Somebody else yeah. do this work for me. Thanks. Somebody else. <laughs> All right. So the next one, honestly, I'm a little confused on because uh, I haven't really dug into it too much. I really need to listen to the episode again, but it was called Site Viewer from episode 14, which episode 14 came out on August 10th, 2015. And there's now a website called tacticalspace.org that is housing site viewer. They're doing a bunch of other things it looks like, but they still have the the site viewer application. And as far as I can tell, it's a way to bring mm -hmm. what did they say? It's it's a way to bring photo scan models into other devices because apparently you can't just bring those in uh, you know, as as something you can you can save out of photo scan. I don't really know, unless this is just old and has never been updated because the the GitHub data was from 2015. And I don't know how GitHub data updates. Does it update when something changes or is that just like the upload date? I really couldn't tell because I don't know a whole lot about GitHub, but I don't know. Um, can you make anything out of this, Paul? Yeah. So no, I really don't know what's going on with that. Also, it seems like a problem that is an old problem, not a, not a now problem of seeing 3d <laughs> models and such in, in your, uh, in your iPad or whatever, because there are lots of different ways to do yeah. that now. But for your GitHub question, it doesn't mean that it's not actively used. It means that change or actively developed rather, it means that whatever development changes haven't been pushed to GitHub which could be that it's uh, not being okay. actively developed. It could mean that they've moved to a different hosting platform for their Git files. Uh, they've moved out to Bitbucket or... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you, I can't think of the other big one right at the moment, but uh, but sure. it doesn't mean that, that it's dead. But that said, it probably mm. does mean that it's dead, the development of it. 
Well, I mean, the website references the GitHub files and nothing else. So that tells me that it either hasn't been updated or, you know, something else is going on. Yeah, maybe it's in deep freeze. Might be, might be. All right. Well, we've got a few more things to talk about. So let's take our final break and come back and do that on segment three. Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the Archaeotech Podcast. We're talking about past tech from the first 50 episodes of the Archaeotech Podcast. And the next thing we're going to talk about is Codify. We have mentioned Codify a lot of times lot. on the show. <laughs> A lot. Yeah. I, I mean, they were, were and probably still are. I don't know. Uh, it's difficult to say what's going on with the company now, but uh, just a little bit of history and full disclosure, too. So I first heard about Codify, again, at a conference, an SAA conference, when I saw mm-hmm. Michael Ashley giving a talk uh, about Codify and some of the things that they were doing. And at the time, Codify was basically, it was FileMaker based because he's a he's a high-end FileMaker developer. I mean, Michael Ashley is a FileMaker whiz. I mean, if, if they have something called a master FileMaker developer, he would be it if he's not already, right? I mean, he just, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a wizard with that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I talked to him and I was doing a project up north Clear Lake, I think it was in in California. And rather than I think going home one weekend, because it was Monday through Friday, and I was like driving back to Reno some weekends rather than just staying there. I drove down to San Rafael, where his offices were, which is just on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And we met up at his offices and did a podcast interview. There was a couple of people working there. It was called codify.org at the time. Uh, it's now codify.com. But Codify mm-hmm. was a, I guess it was more of a bespoke tool for academics and academic projects. Like people would come to him and say, we would like to use this for this. And they would essentially use, you know, their platform broken down to like, you know, 50, 60% completion and then customize the rest of it for that client. Right. And, and that's what they would use it for. Another client would come along, you know, they use a stripped down version and customize the rest of it for that client, but the same basic principles were there and how it functioned and operated. But yeah, there was a bunch of people working there, at least like probably 10 employees. They were doing really well, doing all kinds of things. And and I remember saying when the podcast interview was over, why aren't you guys doing this for CRM? Because you could basically standardize everything for certain states, not have to do bespoke projects anymore, and then just sell it. You know, so that actually sparked off Codify as a separate company because I can't remember what Codify was actually under. It was a sub company of another one that he had. And I can't remember what it was called. 
it'll probably come to me. But either way, Codify, he spun off as a separate company in order to effectively do that. And I joined him kind of as a consultant. And, and basically, we had lots of discussions about CRM, particularly the California DPRs, uh, which are their mm-hmm. site forms. And then the Nevada IMAX form, the California DPR one was the big one that we started with. And, you know, really developing Codify for that. And we, we developed it for a while. And at some point we ended up parting ways, you know, just had some differences on, on the platform and things like that. And if you ever want to know that, just, uh, you know, we can have a beer at a conference or something and I'll, I'll tell you all about it. But if I haven't already mentioned all that on this show already, anyway, at some point they were purchased a few years ago by Paleo West. Mm-hmm. which again, there's another story back there that I could tell you all about, but they were purchased by Paleo West. And then just recently, there's actually on Michael's LinkedIn profile, I saw it, they've taken it out of Paleo West. So I don't know if he bought it back from them or if they just parted ways or whatever happened, but now Codify is independent again. So I don't know exactly what's going on. They still have a website, codify.com. Mm-hmm. There's a contact form on here. So that presumably goes to Michael or somebody, but there's not really a lot of information about how you can use it right now and and what you do if you what you get if you contact them so i'm not 100% certain what's happening there do you have any more insight on that paul uh, no no more insight it's it's, it's curious to me because i met him michael that is i met him last summer on the, on the project i was working on in saudi great guy yeah. uh, i had very interesting conversations with him really knows his tech really uh, thoughtful intelligent yeah. Dedicated to to this, <laughs> so dedicated to this. He's got a big <laughs> codified tattoo on his arm, the logo. Oh so, yeah, oh yeah. I remember when he got that. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, he's he's all in, <laughs> and I, and then I just found out about the. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, what the right term is. Spun off from, released from yeah. a party of ways of some kind, and I haven't. Uh, really bothered to dig in because I hope that it's all amicable and was a good thing uh, for for all parties because that kind of strife really I have troubles dealing with. So yeah, so yeah, I'm hoping there was just they saw an opportunity uh, and everybody said yes, this is the right way forward for everybody, and he's off building up his company to continue in the direction that he needs it to go. Yeah, we used the software and it worked totally fine for me. I thought it was a good idea. It was, yeah. uh, I have no complaints about it. <laughs> I don't know what else to add though. Yeah. You know, that's the interesting thing is, yeah, we're not really sure what happened or what you can do with Codify. But again, I can tell you there is a website, there's a connect box. So you can email whomever is on the other end of that line and say, Hey, I'm interested in this and, uh, you know, talk to them about it, see what's going on. So if we had more information, I would probably give you more information, but we don't. This next one's pretty cool, and I'm so happy to see where this has gone. But on episode 25, and that was back in March 7th, 2016, we interviewed, that was probably me and Chris Sims, uh, interviewed Dr. Dan Bigman. I first Mm -hmm. met Dan when I was in grad school at the University of Georgia in Athens in 2009-2010. And in fact, I remember meeting him a number of times in the um, laboratory of anthropology that we had there. And then also I think him and his wife, they used to have like parties and stuff. And I remember going over there for like a Christmas party or something where I think is the first time I made my eggnog that I've made literally every year since then. I found this one (laughs) recipe that's just amazing. And 
it's it's highly asked for when whoever's had it before <laughs> and it's not my recipe i found it at some point and just started making it every single year since then <laughs> so but yeah dan dan is a super cool guy very high energy he's just like oh yeah you know hopping all over the place yeah i mean it's it seems like he's just like wound super tight but he is so smart with all this remote sensing and geophysical stuff and it his company started as I mean, it's bigman geophysical and his company started as I mean, really just doing GPR for other people, right? So he, he bought the equipment and he was doing GPR for other people, ground penetrating radar, and then started teaching people how to use their own equipment and doing on-site classes, putting together YouTube videos, and really being proactive in telling people, you know, how to maximize their use out of these things that they may or may not know how to use. And again, started just doing it for people and, and being contracted out. And at some point they obviously got into other geophysical methods and then was teaching people how to use those. They rent equipment. And now you look at their website and there's just about, there's just about nothing in that like remote sensing space that they don't do. You know, I mean, they do mm -hmm. pretty much everything. And what I love about him is he's really focused on empowering people to do this and teaching them yeah. about it. And, and it's not just a company that's going out there and doing these things. They're really teaching people how to do it. Yeah, no, I'm on his, uh, his company's mailing list and they, you know, I regularly get mm -hmm. emails about different classes and workshops that they're giving. It seems like it's yeah. mostly yeah, targeted now towards, uh, towards, you know, civil engineers, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. obviously if you're learning how to do GPR and analyze the data for a civil engineering firm, you could take that same stock of knowledge and apply it for archaeology too. So, um, you know, there's, still value for archaeologists though i think he's focused on you know people with deeper pockets well and honestly because we we've interviewed him a couple of times at least mm -hmm. and that's one of the ones you were on paul uh yeah. it was just a few years ago and i remember talking to him about that because he he was like you know he said it in the nicest way possible but the the you're know, building a business and having employees and trying to make payroll the work is just not there in archaeology there's just not enough right. of it right to keep this right, to right. make this sustainable so they started looking out of archaeology and and one of the things i remember him mentioning was using gpr to find like pipes and and utility lines and stuff like that underneath roads and and right. you know other things where you know they're going to dig or do something they need to know where everything is and and just doing that and teaching people how to do that and things like that so yeah it totally made sense that they went out of archaeology and started broadening their horizon um, in order to build the company because, I mean, you almost have to. All right. Well, that's a cool one. Again, Bigman Geo. Link is in the show notes. Go check it out. And, you know, he's got a, a link actually in there. Uh, one more thing I'll mention here. He's got a link for the podcast. I clicked on that and I was going, are you really started a podcast? But he's kind of using podcasts incorrectly because it goes to a YouTube channel and it doesn't look like they've posted over there in a little while, but he was doing some really cool things, you know, talking to different people. I think they called it the, uh, the GPR hot seat or something like that. And uh, it's kind of a cool little series of YouTube videos. So go check that out. And they probably have some other stuff over there as well. Again, really focused on teaching and learning. Okay. So this last one we're going to talk about, these guys have gone through a number of changes and it's Lithodomos VR and they don't even really call themselves Lithodomos VR anymore. It's just Lithodomos.com now and mm -hmm. uh, because it's not necessarily VR anymore, which is the other interesting thing. This is another Australia-based company. Site Viewer was Australia, Fames was Australia and... I don't know what's going on down there, but they're they're really tech forward, and I love it. But don't you um, so, so work for an Australian company? <laughs> what is it I do? A tech company. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
It's kind of crazy, right? When I first heard about Lithodomos VR, I can't actually remember how I came in contact with Simon, who is the um, the founder of Lithodomos VR. Somehow, we were put together and we did an interview. And again, that mm-hmm. was episode 45, aired on January 26, 26, 2017. And the company was really at its infancy at that point. You know, he mm-hmm. was a newly minted PhD, if I remember right, and was was kicking this off because it was based on something he did in his dissertation in how to how to view these like you know, famous, uh, they were starting with like Roman sites and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, the the big hitters. And I remember it was really based around like the Google Cardboard, if you remember that. And I don't even know if you can still get a Google Cardboard, but they'll ship you one for like 12 bucks. I got one free at a Google event in Reno. And it's this flat thing. You fold it out into like an old Viewmaster type of deal and you put your iPhone in it or your Android phone. You fire up their app and it's got the stereoscopic vision and there's a little button on the Google Cardboard that actually triggers like I think it's your volume up button or something like that, depending on what your how your phone is laid out. And essentially, you've got a little ret, uh, like a like a little pointer um, right in your center field of vision and you can look at different things. You can say, I want to go this way. So you, you look that direction, you hit the button and moves you that direction. So you're actually walking through and then clicking on these information things where you hear a narration or you hear sounds of what it could have been like in this photorealistic virtual reality type of environment, right? It's kind of fake Mm -hmm. virtual reality, but it's virtual reality. Well, now you go to their page and they're not exactly doing that anymore. They do have some of that. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of their destinations page, you can see that they've still got a few that support Google Cardboard because they've got the picture right on there for Google Cardboard. And then they've got one destination, I think it's ancient Athens for the Oculus Quest, which, I mean, if they're doing anything, they should move everything to the Oculus Quest. But I think they realized early on that the the novelty of doing this through something like Google Cardboard was not a good business model, right? Like that's not sustainable. <laughs> it's right. just it's it's not something that people are just going to use all the time, right? But now they're it's really just uh, either desktop or phone or tablet based, you know, browser based. You pay six dollars for a different city or you know mm-hmm. something you want to see. And you can essentially use it from your living room or you can actually use it while you're walking around this city. You're walking around Lisbon, Portugal. You can pull this thing up and have your headphones in and then see what where you're at, if it's on their map, looked like at a certain period of history with sounds and narration from qualified academics and and just uh, um, digital reconstructions of things that aren't there anymore or maybe things that are in ruin. And it actually looks pretty cool. And I, I want to really kind of plan some travel around some of this stuff. It's all in, you know, none of it's in the United States. <laughs> it's all over in like <laughs> Europe and the Middle East and around there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to check some of this out. Yeah, no, I uh, we had them back on again for episode 108. So I wasn't here for the episode 45, but I was for 108. And as it so happened, they were coming to New York shortly after the interview. And the oh, yeah. school that I was working at was using those cardboards, not Actually, we did start with the cardboard ones, but we moved on to plastic ones later on. And eventually, I think they got some Oculuses. I'm not sure that happened uh, toward the end of my time there. But because these guys were in town, they came and they had a meeting with some of the guys from my department about designing content specifically for use in the school. And what they had, what they were really showing off, what they were showcasing at the time was a whole workflow that went, you know, so they could quickly and efficiently, and I got to say beautifully do these renderings with 
a pedagogical aim and component to them, which melded mm-hmm. really well with what we were using VR for in the school environment, you know, in K through 12, mostly middle school, high school, but also I think the, the lower school was using them some too. I don't know that we ended up hiring them for any particular project, but there was some active uh, discussions and some back and forth going on about what they could do, what Lithodomos could do that, the school was willing to pay for. And the school was definitely looking at it because like I said, it was, it was good quality content and it was um, not just the Mm -hmm. beautiful renderings, but also, you know, and and package and having talked to them, I really believed what he was telling me about the, the workflow that they had, that they had specialists at each stage so they could, you know, bring a project in, you know, as an idea and, pop it out the other end as a fully formed, fully executed, well-designed, uh, you know, final product of a, of VR, not just rendering because there were animations going on during these, but, uh, you know, so, you know, a, a little more like a, a video game kind of context, but with a lot, again, with a, mm. a learning component, with a lot of annotations and, you know, a guided sense about how one would move through a space, through a city to see what you could see. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's what I love about it. You know, there's a lot of attention mm-hmm. to detail and yeah. a lot of historical accuracy that they're trying to go for. Yeah. And that's really yes. cool. So yeah, definitely, well, definitely check it out. I remember when I was looking at this website earlier today to just kind of uh, refresh some of my research on this, I, I ended up on a page that actually had all their def- destinations with a price listed on there. And I'm in English and the price was listed in U. Well, it said dollars. I actually don't know if that was us dollars or Australian dollars, but it said six which it's relatively close right now. So $6 per US destination. Dollars or dollar and then reduce. at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the Australian dollar, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, totally. But now I can't find that page. Oh. I don't know what pathway took me to that page, but now I can't find it. But if you do click on their <laughs> destinations page, you can actually sample some of these things. And it's actually kind of cool the way that they did the web page too, because your your mouse as you're navigating the page is actually moving the background behind it in conjunction with the mouse, which is which is really kind of neat. I've never seen a web page do that before. Anyway, super cool company. Definitely support them. Full disclosure, they did sponsor some ads uh, or they had some ads on the Archaeology Podcast Network, I think a couple of times when they were really trying to do some heavy promotions. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, I'm glad to see they're still up and running. And I really want to go somewhere where I can use one of their destinations and use it in real time. But of course, I might just try one of these from the comfort of my own couch or try to find that Oculus app. I'm going to go in there and check that out. So, all right. Anything else, Paul? No, I mean, again, this is all stuff from before my time, but it's also a lot of the stuff that got me first listening to uh, this podcast and other podcasts yeah. on the uh, on the network, and then eventually, you know, becoming the co-host on this one. You know, it was uh, it was hearing there all these go. discussions and these interviews with people that had neat ideas and were actually trying to execute them, and I was filled with jealousy listening to these so much, so often <laughs> back then because I was doing something that was out of archaeology, and oh, if I could just do my tech stuff in archaeology. It'd be so cool. Uh, well, I'm glad somebody else is doing it. And hey, now um, yeah, right. back in it. And uh, and I'm glad that, that a lot of them are still going strong. Yeah. Awesome. And and on some of the stuff you're doing, you're actually able to take some of these things and 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 bring them into to what you're doing, which is really cool, like the Lagos project mm-hmm. and things like that. So yep. that's a really awesome uh, conjunction of those things. 
Okay. Well, at some point in the future, I can't tell you when, I specifically stopped looking at 50 episodes because we had already had enough. And I might just do other chunks because we've got, well, four chunks of 50 episodes now. And uh, I'd love to go through some of those others. Oh, my goodness. See where they're at. I know. Getting really close to episode 200. So... All right. Well, with that, we will see you guys later. I don't know if Paul's going to have the internet or the schedule to make it next time with our interview with Paul Martin, but hopefully he can. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) it might just be me and Paul. Paul Martin, I should say. Uh, Not uh, Paul Zimmerman. And we will do that. Otherwise, good luck in Saudi, Paul. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right. We'll see everybody next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Architect Podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at www.archpodnet.com slash Archaeotech. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and paul at lugal.com. Support the show by becoming a member at archpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is license-free from Apple. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Come.